You're listening to the Irish Times. I am feeling a little bereft this morning without my usual partner, Pat Nugent is away for a few weeks, but this morning we have Eamon Donoghue in on the Out of Time podcast, helping me out. How are you, Eamon? Very good. Of course you're very good. <laughs> of course you're very good. Eamon, for anyone who doesn't know, is a big Roscommon man, uh, or a big man from Roscommon, <laughs> decide one way or the other. Uh, but uh, you had the, t- the dread task on Saturday night of live blogging the Rossies win over Mayo. Yeah. Uh, how impartial were you? I think I did very well. I think I did very well. Um, it's a good job. I wasn't uh, in vision, shall we say? Yeah, yeah. So a lot of a lot of jumping around and then we should back we down. should have those cameras on you that they have on like Gary Rio Lineker Ferdinand, and Rio yeah. Ferdinand and all that. Yeah, it's a few deep breaths. and yeah. settle yourself and bit of fist pumping in the office on a Saturday yeah, night. Yeah, which considering they were trying to get all the election results out, I'm glad. I'm sure you're glad to have a floor to yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Nice quietness. But no, it was it was a. A huge result for Roscommon. Like the the last time Roscommon won in Castlebar, me and every player who took part in that game for Roscommon wasn't born. So <laughs> really? you know, like all I can think of Castlebar is just going down there, whether it be playing, supporting, just seeing Roscommon losing. You know, yeah. and it's just such a horrible place to go to. Just can't stand the you know the the seated terraces and the oh, it's <laughs> the misery. It's misery the down there. You know, and and. Uh, See Roscommon win in there. Like you can see that the, the joy of lads yeah. running out onto the field, and um, yeah, and, and and the manner of the win as well. You know, mm. the team really played with edge and massive passion. And um, the last couple of years, we've we've played really good football, mm. and there there was plenty of that there. But like the team played, they they lived off scraps in the game. You know, mm. all all the statistics were completely against them. They were dominating a lot of areas, but they went they went toe to toe still despite all of that, and yeah. that they they lived off. Off scraps, and and that is what this team does. They live off scraps. But in that game, you know, if if you were to look at statistics, you you would have seen a comfortable Mayo win. What I thought was really impressive, exactly as you're saying, they they were living off off scraps. But geez, they were doing plenty with those scraps. Like, yeah. I don't know. Like you you've been around Cahill Craig. You've played with him, against him, watched them. Uh, in other years, like when that ball was coming out of the Roscommon defence, he kind of run in behind Keith Higgins, but he was on the 45. Like, I don't know, watching him over the years, would I have thought, oh, geez, there's a goal on here. Yeah, it's it's a strange one because... Carl but Craig, he was so ruthless once once he saw yeah, it. Yeah, well, Carl, Carl Craig kind of is... is he, He's one of those players in terms of... He always he always does massive work around the field, but in terms of his score, and mm. he's kind of on it, or he's off of it. It's mm. always one or the other. But... uh. Uh, like Mayo over the years, three or four years ago, Carl Craig was Ross Commons everything, mm. um, and Mayo would have. There's, I can think of games where they've put Lee, Lee Keegan man marking yeah. him, and he just completely taken him out of the game. And it just seems that like it took until he scored the goal for them to make that change. You know, they were sleepwalking in yes, that game. They had they really were. Yeah, they didn't have their matchups right. Um, they just allowed Ross Commons to completely dictate the shape of the game. And next second, you're down two goals, and and then they didn't react to that. Um, in terms of for, for Mayo, you know, it looks we'll get very, to him in one very second. Big. We'll get to him in one second. Tell me about Connor Cox because the one thing about him, man, he's not going to die wondering. Like he, yeah. you know, and like there's been plenty of Rossi forwards over the years, nice forwards, very, mm. you know, very clever players and, you know, can take a, can take a score. He 
didn't give a shit. Yeah. Like he was just on it and gonna go for it, and he didn't care. And there was one bit in the was in the second half where he he took on a shot. Like he had maybe three four points at this stage, and he took on a shot, and it went like forty yards <laughs> wide. And there was a man inside, and I remember Paul Early saying on the TV, like definitely the ball there was to play the ball inside. But when you scored three yeah. four points. You're you're entitled. You're entitled, and he was, and he and he is. God, he's a great addition. Yeah. Oh, he's a massive addition. And the the thing with him is that he is a complete and utter pressure player. You know, mm. he loves like there was a free uh, near the end uh, to equalise, and you just knew he was going to score. You could see him kind of mm-hmm. pivot his body, and he he absolutely loves the ball coming into him when a score is needed. Yeah. And and where he really proved that. Um, he he's played Kerry underage and he's got yeah. chances with the league, but where he's really proved himself is for UCC and the Sigerson right. and the scores that he got consistently for them under pressure, frees especially from all sorts of angles. You know, that's my memory of him when he came into Roscommon Camp this year, and he he didn't really stand out in any kind of early season games or anything like that, um, because as I said, he, he's a type of player who needs that pressure. He just he just comes alive, mm. and so you can I can see why in Kerry. They would have seen this lad. You know, he's not as good as what we have, which yeah. is incredible. Yeah. But when the pressure is really on, you're going to struggle to get a player better than him at what he does, which is yeah. either win frees for himself to score or score himself. Like yeah. he's not going to be. He's not going to. He's not create. a team player. No, yeah. no. It's yeah. not that he's he's individual. It's just the way he plays. Sure. He's 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 thinking of getting scores, and you need players like that. He's he's very much. He's a long way to go to get to that mm. level, but he's very much like Conor McManus in that he's a he's a one man attack. I like. know. Yeah. yeah. So um. But yeah, it was great. It, it was great to see him as well afterwards, you know, kind of indicate. He obviously had to take a big leap of faith to make mm-hmm. that that switch. And, you know, his father was on the last first common team. But it was kind of written, wasn't it? Yeah, so uh, it, yeah. that, that, that was nice to see. But there was a lot of Russ Common players there who have been on the panel for the last couple of years. And I suppose they got their chance this year because other lads who were a step ahead of them had pulled out. Mm. But it just shows for me... In Roscommon, there's a massive quality of players and there's very little between them. Yeah. And lads got their chance. And I think the fact that, that that turnover showed that extra hunger. And they were just willing to... There were lads who were just willing to do whatever they were asked to do, which for Anthony Cunham is tackle, 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 tackle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And then the, the big thing for Roscommon now moving forward is that the biggest winning in that game was the fact that Endless May, Connor Devaney, all of these came on. It just happened that some of them were coming back from injuries or whatever or other reason. But that's their main players came on and they'd finished with a stronger team than they started. Mm. If you think of Monaghan when they bet Dublin the first round of the league, it happened that Connor McManus and these ads came on that's and won right, in the yeah. game. When you go from there do you say, are we going to keep going with our best players on the bench or do we and I think Monaghan really struggled for the the league to build up any momentum to carry on from that and, and so Roscommon now need to against Galway figure out straight away what they're going to do in terms of the team and, yeah. but yeah it's a we, massively will we, will positive we, day for the Rossies will we lament for poor Al Mayo <laughs> yeah um, it's just do you know what really struck me the other, the other night and I wrote a column about this this morning like it was just such such old Mayo like it was all the old cliches that 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 James Horan and these players I've spent years putting the light to. It was that again. Like it was the shooting was terrible. The shot decisions were terrible. The goalie just made such a mess. I missed his three frees and give out give away the terrible kick out. And that like at a stroke, like his his league final performance was amazing. And 
now that's gone and like does he get back in for the rest of the rest of the championship there were missing frees missing shots it was old old Mayo and against like they would have got away with it in other years except that this this Rossi team is is as we said has a sharper edge and you know lives off scraps very well um but like it's a long way to the, to the super eights for them now. Yeah, the super eights really really does kill it because you know you've you've the extra the extra games rather than just one quarter final. Like I I I honestly felt that the league, their them winning the league wasn't reflective. It's very hard. The team who wins the league normally yeah. is the best, but it, yeah, I just think they were very fortunate um, throughout the league in their performances. Um, like if you go, well, they weren't. They weren't. I, I mean, yeah, they 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 got beaten by Dublin, uh, but. When they had to beat Kerry, they beat Kerry and they beat them twice. True. Like they're not, they're. I, I'm not saying they're terrible. Like mm-hmm. they're obviously one of the top. They're definitely one of the top eight. They're definitely one of the top five. They're m- almost certainly one of the top three. But Jesus, I don't know. This I, this I, carry on, yeah, is I, not what James Horan came back for. I, I I would see Galway is quite a bit ahead of them now at the moment. Quite a bit ahead of I them. Don't know. I think that the victories against Kerry is quite simply because Kerry push up massively and that suits Mayo. You know, mm. if you step off Mayo, they don't know what to do and they make mistakes. If you push up on them, you make life easy for them because they can break tackles. And mm. if Mayo play Kerry 10 times, they're going to beat them nine. You know, that's just that matchup is perfect for them. Like Roscommon should have beaten Mayo in the first round of the league. Mm. You know, they should have won that game. Again, oh, that was a stupid game. Wet, wet conditions. Yeah, but yeah. again, the wet conditions suited Roscommon in this game. Again, it came greasy. Aidan O'Shea. Had a very good game, but he was dropping ball as well. Yeah, Mayo, no doubt, will will get a few wins in the qualifiers. But yeah, it's a, it's a massive ass to then go on to Super Eights and build and build. Yeah. But you never know; they might discover they are just discovered Matthew Rand this year during the league. They might discover one or two new things, and it could end up being could be. a blessing that they need it. Well, look, they, if they're to make an All Ireland final, they have to. I think I think they have to play eight games in nine weeks, and that means eight eight Monday mornings that we'll have time to talk about. <laughs> So I'm sure we will at some stage. Uh, later on, we're going to have uh, Keith Duggan on to tell us about Wexford Galway in uh, Salt Hill yesterday. But first, uh, the rugby season has come to its end and uh, Jerry Thornley is in to tell us about the weekend. Um, obviously, Leinster's uh, win on Saturday had a, a beautiful little coda when they gave Sean O'Brien the trophy to, to raise, Jerry. Uh, they obviously knew what... They were then going to tell us all uh, yesterday. Yeah, it, it didn't come as a complete surprise because of what you witnessed on Saturday in Glasgow. On top of which, of course, is Johnny's recent history with injuries and then Leo Cullen revealing at the pre-match press conference on Friday that was his hip problem was at him again. And then, um, you know, Johnny's a very big uh, leadership figure within the group. He's uh, one of the drivers of the Leinster culture. Um, huge, huge figure in that organisation. Like right up there with Ethan Asaba, Johnny Sexton, Brian O'Driscoll. Leo Cullen, Shane Jennings, all the big names they've had there. And, and he, would have, when, yeah, he would have told them during the week. I'm and when sure. you think about it, he has straddled mm. all of that. All he of straddled that. Straddled from, he was on the bench from Leo's days. In right up, yeah. You know, so he's been yeah. there for all of that. Um, unfortunately, injury has denied him the same hall of big games and medals that some of the others, have, like the, look at the body work, Keen Healy, Johnny Sexton, sure. Rob Carney. But um, yeah, I'm sure he would have, he would have told them during the week. And that would have been additional motivation for them. I'd say Johnny Sexton and Sean O'Brien have had multiple rows and training grounds, and you know, be very disappointed if that happened. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. but the the mutual respect was so evident yeah. between the two men. It was quite a 
a moving moment. And then also it was very obvious that nobody was jumping on Shawnee. Yes, I <laughs> and he, saw that. he hobbled over to the, <laughs> yeah. the, and then he got drenched in champagne, but nobody yeah. was jumping on him because, you know, he was, and it's his hip. I think he's had at least two hip operations before. So, so, so just for the news that was put out then yesterday, he's going to have a hip operation. He's going to miss, miss six miss guns. He's going to miss the World Cup. Yep. Um, so this means that he won't make his third World Cup, mm. which is very disappointing. I know from talking to him, this was his cherished goal. This is yeah. the way he wanted to bow out. It would have yeah. been the perfect finale. And um, he deserved it because he was outstanding at the last two World Cups in both of them, 2011. Mm. Even New Zealand television, they were calling him the Tullow Tank. He yeah. really kind of transcended that whole tournament with those explosive carries of his in tandem with Stephen Ferris. And he was just as good again in 2015. Astonishing performance against France in the pool decider, mm. which unfortunately ended with him giving Pascal Pape more than, one of which he eminently deserved over the course of Pascal Pape's career, <laughs> who then go in and did his best to make sure Shawnee was suspended for the quarterfinal, which he duly was, which was very unlucky for Shawnee and for Ireland. I think he um, deserves to be mentioned the same breath as Brian O'Driscoll and Paul O'Connell. I think he's one of the really, three. Really, that much? Yeah. yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. Yeah. When he was at his best, like European Player of the Year 2011, that game against France in 2015, um, the Heineken Cup triumphs Leinster had, what he was part of, he was like a force of nature in the pitch. He could bend games to his will almost, it seemed. Um, he you know, was just a brilliant ball carrier. He, could, he was a game-breaking ball carrier. He, could just, he would steam onto the ball, great lines of running, very explosive in contact. Um, and, you know, he was brilliant over the ball, great tackler. Good execution, good skill set. Just and a phenomenal attitude, player. Though, Jerry. Attitude. attitude was yeah. the, what really kind of yeah. you know. Obviously, his physical attributes are are amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Like the old cliche of, of a farmer's strength. He obviously had that, but like those the, the the a real steel to his attitude. Yeah, and it's not just a cliche you're mentioning mm. there because when you think about it, in the Heineken Cup final, only himself and Tyke Furlong are what you would call products of the youth club stroke. Um, outside Dublin sure. kind of product within the Leinster system of those Leinster players you've got Henshaw coming from the Midlands and so forth and Sean Cronin Limerick via Galway but they're the only two from the Leinster youths programme so Sean he was very very important as Tyke Farland spoke about him for characters like Tyke as Tyke now will be Batten's kind of passed on to him um, and yeah it was you're right it was his mental attitude on the pitch and his toughness and his will to win he was like a winner and uh, I, I think you know all the operations and injuries he's had would have broken the will of lesser men. But he's just so tough and he keeps coming back for more. And I wouldn't rule him out coming back and playing for London Irish. Although mm. there must be a bit like Paul O'Connell. There must be a cloud over his career. Unlike um, O'Driscoll, but very akin to O'Connell, you don't get to choose your ends. Um, so he, uh, he won't... His last game for Ireland would have been that defeat in Wales. His last game for Leinster was that defeat against the Saracens, which is, makes the gesture yeah. of letting him lift the trophy on his own. Um, that would be his last act on duty yeah. for Leinster. So fitting. Um, it was a very nice moment. London Irish have a th- uh, have signed him to a three-year contract, though, yeah. haven't they? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Whether he sees out three years remains yeah. to be seen. Um, I'd say he couldn't. I'd say he couldn't grab the pen quick enough. <laughs> when well, he heard about that. Yeah, perhaps. Uh, he certainly wasn't enticed to stay here. Put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Sufficiently financially, or in terms of length of contract, and um, I would safely say that if London Irish got two years out of him and 14 or 15 games a season given what else he would bring to their organisation with their promotion as a figurehead kind of figurehead. Thing, right. and culture culture yeah. in the changing room culture in meetings leadership um, I personally think he was the greatest Irish captain we never had you know I really think that had it, you know, had it not been for injuries 
given his leadership qualities and that mental strength you talk about, as well as his leadership from the front, he could have been O'Connell-esque as an Irish captain. I think you're, you're talking about kind of the bridging divides of the traditional Leinster player, like Shawnee and Tiger type of lads. You'd see them, you'd see them in coppers on a on a night out. It's just kind of very country lads. But in terms of this World Cup upcoming, how big of a loss is he as a player? He's a huge loss for me because Dan Levy's out as well. Like these two are just game-breaking, outstanding number sevens from a different level. Gavin myself often talked about, geez, wouldn't it be great to see them play together once? They hardly ever seem to get to play together, even yeah. for Leinster. Yeah. Imagine the damage the two of them in tandem could have done. Would have been like Ferris and O'Brien back in 2011. That would be interesting to see, because their careers overlap by about three years, yes. three, three, four years. And, and might they have played double <laughs> figures together? I wouldn't think so. Yeah. I would safely say not. In the last three years, Sean O'Brien's only played 24 games for Leinster. But you're right, Eamon. You know, it's, uh, they're real figureheads for... Like, Leinster can't just rely forevermore on the school system. And, a remarkable conveyor belt, though it is. It would be lovely to see them get more out of that youth programme, that club programme outside of Dublin. And that's why players like Shawnee and Ty Fern, because if it wasn't for them, there would be no examples at the moment. I know before them, Trevor Brennan, I suppose Shane Horgan to a degree. You just need, it was just, it's just good for the organisation. But in terms of the World Cup, it's a huge loss because... Levy and O'Brien, we've, we've seen that in Grand Slam and Six Nations Championship successes. You think of how outstanding Sean O'Brien was in 2015 when they won the title. Those couple of tries in Murrayville in the last day. And Levy in the Grand Slam um, last year. There's just, I'm, there's, there, the cupboard is quite bare all of a sudden at open side. And Josh van der Fleer has to stay healthy and yeah, fit. Because yeah. there's, there's no other real ready-made seven. Um, you're looking at um, sprinting one of the young guys up like a Scott Penny or taking a gamble like that or converting CJ Stander or somebody or Peter Mandy to a seven. So it's a significant blow. It really is. Mm. Uh, talk a little about the game on Saturday. Like a really compelling final. Yeah. And, um, I was wrapped by it. Loved totally, it. yeah. Yeah. And, mm. and the sort of thing you really couldn't look away from because, because Glasgow have that ability that, okay, they were eight points down, but you knew that they were going to run it. You knew mm. that they were going to try and get mm. a try, mm. that they were, weren't going to die wondering. And, it, like, a really compelling clash of styles in that way. I guess, in a way, the, Leinster handled the, the conditions better, uh, and, and that was what was the, the, the bedrock of their, of their win. Yes. I mean, um, Glasgow were quicker and destroyed, mm. and, and kind of bookended the game with two good tries. And their last try was probably the best try of the game. Uh, they passed twice as much as Leinster. Yeah. They used way more width, but Leinster kicked twi- almost twice as much yeah. as they did. Um, Johnny Sexton kicked the ball out of his hand more twice in the first four minutes than he did in the entire Heineken mm-hmm. Champions Cup final. I thought they really responded well when you think of that 17-phase try. If you go through it, the one that ended up with Keane Healy scoring, mm-hmm. I think Johnny only touched the ball about twice. There's one wrap around to give it a bit of width, and then every other um, uh, phase is a one-off runner off Luke McGrath or pick-and-go. Um, they just reduced the risks on the ball and made sure they got their score. Um, they uh, they kicked for territory. It was very interesting. Early in the second half, uh, Glasgow are suddenly 10-15 down at half time. And Stuart Hogg has the longest boot nearly in Europe. And in the first half, had put down three monstrous kicks, 50-60 metres. And he had the chance to do, do so again in the second minute of the second half. And because they were trading, I think it affected his mindset. Even though there was only the start of the second half, mm. And he probably should have put boot to ball, given the rain, the conditions, and the tight nature of a cup final. And he ran back into contact and was tackled by uh, Keane Healy and Scott Fardy. A um, couple of phases later, they coughed up the ball. Johnny Gray knocked on. Lens got a scrum, went through the phases, and Henshaw kicked into 22 for a line-out. 
and you kind of felt, yeah, Leinster know exactly what they're doing here. They're playing cup rugby. Glasgow are playing Warriors rugby. Mm. And in the second half, I think they had 50-odd percent of possession, 57% possession, but Leinster had 73% territory. It was very clever. Their scrum was good. Uh, their maul was good. Um, they weren't at their most fluent, but there were some lovely little moments, vignettes as well, like when you think of Tyke Furlong's 20-metre right-to-left pass Indeed, and things yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. But I just thought their defence was excellent. Mm. They, had, they had to play with a lot of line speed in the defence. And Gary Ringrose's line speed in defence, even Luke McGrath making the charge down, um, Gary Ringrose's line speed leads to the turnover, which, which they go down the field. And Kyle Stain is um, binned and they get the extra three points to go two scores clear. And their tackle execution, I think uh, Reese Ruddock and James Ryan made over 50 tackles between them, just the two of them, and only missed two. <laughs> yeah. um, and there was loads of huge efforts. Jack yeah. Conan's playing great rugby now at the moment. Scott Fardy, great engine on him, the front rowers. I thought it was to go to Glasgow two weeks after losing a Heineken Cup final and play in front of 47,000, of which certainly 40,000 plus were um, Glasgow fans booing and whistling even when Johnny Sexton mm-hmm. was taking his kicks. And to come from behind and win like that, I'd say it's as satisfying, if not the most satisfying, of their six Pro 14 was, titles. Because yeah. it's their first one they've won away from home. Yeah. They, they won the previous previous four finals they'd won had all been in the RDS or Lansdowne yeah. Road. This was the first one away. Like, God be with the days, Jerry, and you've been covering this competition since it started. God be with the days, you know, that the, the, the latter stages of it were kind of an afterthought that whenever, whichever team was going to win, it came back from doing playing the Heineken. It was... Okay, can they get themselves up for for the semi final and final or, or or just final as it as, as it's used to be? And like you look at Leinster's last four or five week stretch here, yeah, has been so impressive. Yeah. Okay, lost to Saracens in the middle of it, mm. but like to be able to the to rotate the squad mm-hmm. to play Munster in that semi final yeah. to to broaden out the squad and show the players who are outside the front line that you are a vital part of this too, and then to regroup for this final and play a serious final. Mm. Really impressive last month, month and a half. You see, they, they place a huge amount of store in the fact that this this tournament actually is more representative of them as a whole, yeah. as an organisation, than the European Cup is. They use 57 players. Sean O'Brien is accepting that trophy on behalf of 56 other players as well as himself. Mm. That's hugely important to them. I'd say they'll have partied long into last night and the night before and maybe even again tonight. It really would mean a lot to their organisation. And you're right, it shows the extraordinary strength and depth mm. and this conveyor belt. It's unlike any other club or province in the world, in my book, what they're doing. It's quite extraordinary and it will give them that much more satisfaction. But come the heat of the hunt, they went back to the core of their frontline team and they got them over the line in the four games in a row. And that's often what happens with Leinster. When the frontline troops get a run of games together, that's when it builds more cohesion into their game. I wasn't sure about the bench and whether there was enough impact off the bench to win that game. Glasgow had a lot of impact on their bench, but I just looked at the team and I thought, this is a team that will desperately want to win and it's a very strong starting 15. Um, and they're trophy hunters. This is what they do. This is their 10th trophy in 11 years. Amazing. Quite extraordinary. And... Uh, and was very important for the organisation because could you imagine if we were having this discussion on the back of two defeats and yeah. two finals? Mm. It'd be it would be a great season, and yet it would feel like totally crushing. What does the summer look like for them now? What do, what do they do? do they, a mm. World Cup year is a, is a odd one because like rugby goes into a slight sort of stasis, slight slight limbo period mm. now, but it's back sooner than ever, quicker than ever, and more intense than ever. Like in a, in August, you know, like, like astonishing. That means the players come back in mid June. Yeah. For, pre, for the World Cup preps, mid-June. Yeah. They get three weeks' holidays. Mm. And the next season goes on until 
end of June. Like it's if you count preseason, it's an eleven and a half month season next mm-hmm. year. I don't know how they're going to get through it. And this raises a lot of problems for Leinster in particular. Mm. I mean, probably less so for Connacht and Ulster. Some degree of problems for Munster, who've got their own issues in terms of fitting their coaching staff. But Leinster are going to supply 16, 17, 18 players for that World Cup. Same again, the Six Nations. The, uh, there'll be five rounds of the Pro 14 during the World Cup, even though it starts later. And the first round of the Heineken Cup is a fortnight after the World Cup final. So no matter how whether Ireland do well or badly, yeah. it's still going to present a host of problems for Leo Cullen and for the Leinster coaching staff. And remember too as well, Mal, in the last World Cup season and of the disappointment of losing the quarterfinals to Argentina, not and the same for Ospreys, bulk suppliers to Wales, same for Scarlet, same for Glasgow. Not one Celtic side made the quarterfinals in the Heineken Cup. Mm. It's quite a drain on the Celtic sides in particular. The big money French and English clubs can buy in foreign players and throw more money at it. But in a sense, that's going to be quickly forgotten because come, come well, this, there's going to be preliminary squad announced today or tomorrow, about 45, 46, 47 players. So if you haven't made that, you're not going to make the World Cup. That's going to be the beginning of the countdown. Then they get their three weeks holidays going to pre-season and there's four games in August and it's just going to be, all. It's just World Cup is just going to dominate the landscape. More importantly, Jerry, when are you going to get holidays? That is a very, very good question, Matthew. <laughs> that is a very, very good question. Hopefully shortly, soon. Well, put it this way. You'll have a holiday from uh, your duty on this podcast yes. for a while anyway. Yes. So uh, until uh, we meet again, I would say in mid-August or so. Something like uh, that, yeah. Thank you very much. You're welcome, man. Have a good Cheers. summer. You too. Now, I was uh, in Tullamore yesterday at a football double bill and saw no hurling. Uh, but Eamon, you did the live blog. You live blogged the Wexford-Galway game. Uh, I hear it wasn't great. It wasn't great. It was, uh, it's an understatement. It was scrappy as hell. But the last 15 minutes, it just erupted. Um, Wexford scored three points in a row to, to go level. And from there, it just, it just it completely kicked off into madness. You'd go chance <laughs> end to end. Um, any any of the two teams could have won it, and the, if if ever there was a game where you could have said a draw was a fair result because it was just bouncing from side to side, mm. neither team deserved to to lose it at that stage, and then up until then, neither, neither team deserved to win it. So. Keith uh, Duggan was there for us. Uh, Keith, what did you make of it? Yeah, uh, pretty much agree with 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 Eamon's assessment of it. It was very just the game itself never really flowed. Um, the, the, the the two teams never really got into any kind of sort of synchronicity or pattern and it was it was stop start in terms of the officiating um the big thing there was as ever in salt hill yeah. this breeze just coming in uh from you know f- from the sea and it took 20 it took wexford i think 20 minutes to register their first score that was a free by lee chain and it had five wides i think before that some of which they'd normally knock over and, and, and galway also were just very very hit and miss in the first half so I kind of, you know, there was a lot of anticipation around the ground beforehand, big, big crowd coming mm. in and, you know, nice, nice day, etc. And a sort of an unease kind of settled over the uh, over the stadium because you just, you know, the crowds from both sides knew that, that, that neither team were fully on. And the game kind of carried on in that vein until, as Eamon said, that, that you know, like, it, it was Roy O'Connor scored this just this, this terrific point into the wind with maybe I think on the fiftieth minute, and from there Wexford just took off. They could just they could sense something, and Galway grew more hesitant over that over that phase. So I think if you register the sort of uh, happiness levels of both managers, 
uh, over that over that closing fifteen minutes, Davies would have you know went through the roof. Whereas, you know, Michal Donahue I think left the game with 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 quite a number of concerns and worries. Just just considering the the wind you're talking about there, how much would you read into the free taking? Both sides, Lee Chin missed a lot, but in Galway without Joe Cannon, Niall Burke missed a lot. He ended up being taken off. Jason Flint came in and he still missed a few. Was that entirely down to the wind, or? I think when you've you know that number of quality strikers uh, struggling, I think you have to you have to assume that it's a big factor. And there's quite a few misses from open play as well. Um, I think there was 30, 31 wides over the game. So yeah, I think it was a big, big factor. It was something that both managers referred to afterwards. You know, as 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 Neil Donahue said, and I'd have some sympathy uh, with him on this. That when you're when you're when you're playing in those kind of conditions, it just becomes basically a game of two halves. Galway had the breeze in the first half. They were ten four up. It was sort of an easy enough, an, an uneasy enough lead to carry into into the second half, and it was a question of sort of trying to just you know keep their noses in front, which they did until that last twenty minutes. So I think it did. You've seen it there before. The breeze kind of a really really sort of overbearing effect on on potentially very good hurling games in that ground. It's a funny place, Keith, isn't it? Like it is. it's uh, you know Salt Hill. I always think it's a great place to go for a slot machine or a nice cotton chips. But Jesus, it's a hard place to go for a championship game in either cold. It is. It is because you know it just the, that 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 breeze is always there. I know, like obviously, uh, Tume uh, gets a, mm. get you know has its critics, but. Generally, the conditions tend to be really good there, and you know it's 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 a small, tight venue, so it's brilliantly atmospheric. Pierce Stadium sometimes struggle struggles for atmosphere. It didn't it didn't yesterday, but um, yeah, it's just it's just it's it's location. Yeah, tell me this. Um, I was at Wexford's game against Dublin last week, which they should have won mm-hmm. uh, and drew to a last minute goal. Uh, my sense is that they had. They timed their run more or less to perfection yesterday and still just didn't get it done, but probably in the end uh, should have should have got it done. Um, it's it's worth wondering how they come away from this. Like, obviously, going away to Dublin and going away to Galway and coming away from both of them undefeated is good in the cold, bare light of day. But when you should have won both games, I wonder how you feel after it. Well... You know, Davy Fitzgerald was definitely uh, in a glass half full kind of mood after uh, after the game. Um, they they definitely could have won this. I mean, they had a really really good goal chance. Cal Dunbar laid on one on one, struck it struck it relatively well, but Con Con Callan, you know, just just managed managed to stop it. Um, you know, if they get squeezed, ultimately they'll 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 look back on this on on, on this on this uh, on this game as one that they could have uh, they could have really made a big stride forward. But um, you know, as Eamon said, it was a strange kind of game. It, yeah, you could say that neither team deserved to lose it, but I'm not fully sure that either team deserved to win it either. You know. I was at uh, one of those football games yesterday uh, where <laughs> Kildare and Longford sure. went to extra time and trust me, neither of them deserved to win it because neither of them could score in the second half of extra time. Yeah, <laughs> I think yeah, you yeah. called it a strange kind of an epic. Yeah, it, I, like it, it was an epic that was sort of without drama, if that, if that sounds even yeah. feasible. I, I think in that, in, that um, in the Wexford game, 
David Fitzgerald's decision to play into the wind in the first half proved to be proved to be very clever, which he always does. He always does that. Always right. does that. Yeah. yeah, it proved. And and another thing that that I noticed with Davy was when he kicked off from the sideline and got put up to the stands, just literally that coincided with Wexford and the game <laughs> coming alive. Um, was that something you noticed being there live? Yeah, I mean, it definitely provoked a big reaction uh, when he was when he was banished from the touchline. He actually sat up um, quite close to where we were in the press box in the first half and was uh, monitoring proceedings from there and then came down for the second half but didn't last too long <laughs> and resumed his seat back back upstairs. And yeah, it was put to him afterwards that uh, um, his... his uh, his ejection from the sideline coincided with uh, with 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 Rexford's revival. So he 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 you know he said, well, "Look, what are you saying? That they should they should kick me from the from the sideline more <laughs> often." Um, but yeah, it did it it, it did have a re- it did have a reaction. I'm not sure how much of an impact it had on the players on the field, but um, certainly after that things began to turn fairly 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 uh, significantly in in Wexford's favour. Uh, tell me about Galway, uh, Keith. Um. You know, they didn't exactly. Um, it wasn't extreme prejudice that they dispensed with Carlo, and uh, this is a, a home game. They should, you know, would be expected when they're lining up their fixtures at the start of the year. They would have expected to be winning this. Uh, where are they? Yeah, it's it's really hard to tell. I mean, they just weren't particularly convincing. It's hard. It's not as if individually anyone sort of particularly you know played played poorly uh, you know a, a lot of them good did good things individually but just in terms of the units uh like up front really like connor 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 whedon had a he had a ferocious game particularly in the first half he just won a lot of ball and he seemed to be everywhere um jason flynn as well did did did, did very well particularly against uh waxford's puckouts in the in the first half but as a unit they weren't really flowing again there was a lot of wides um and then the defence, you know, Dahi Burke, Garrod McInerney, these players did very well individually. But if you remember in 2017, there was just a sense that that Galway's defensive unit was was just rock solid. It didn't, it, it felt more, it looked more sort of fractured to me um, in this game. And obviously the absence of Joe Canning is kind of, it's an inescapable fact for Galway at the moment. And you were kind of looking for someone during that period when Wexford, you know, just knocked off seven points in a row to see who would, who would sort of respond to that. Um, again, you could argue that Flynn, um, you know, he got two big scores late on to sort of rescue today for Galway, but they're just in a very uncertain place right now, and it's hard to know. Um, they, it, they just don't seem to be firing fully right now. So it, it, you know, Nolan Park becomes. A kind of a nerve-wracking test, I think, for for Galway hurling people. Yeah, for everyone, you know, like this, the 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 way the Leinster Championship is played out, um, there are everything from now on is is a real knife edge thing. Yeah, it is. There's just no room for errors. I mean, I presume though, you, you know, Galway would have factored on on having to get something out of Nolan Park and Parnell Park anyway where, before this began. Mm. So. They're not. It's not. It's not as if they're in a. They're they're in a terrible hole. It's more just. Um, it's 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 hard to know how much better they're going to be in a fortnight's time. I, I think last week people were talking about after the 
the Dublin-Wexford draw, a lot of people were saying it could, it could come down to between Dublin and Wexford that, for that third spot, how much each of them beat Carlo by. The assumption that Galway and Kilkenny were going to win the rest of the games. It doesn't look like that at all now. It's, it's completely thrown open, Leinster, that result, I, I think, anyway. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's 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 a little bit reminiscent of the um, the Munster Championship last summer, mm. particularly. You just get the feeling that you know a big name is going to get squeezed quite early here. Indeed, yeah. Um, the loss of uh, of Joe Canning. Um, it's I saw Mial Donu say, you know, afterwards, and and I presume he was kind of his shoulders were probably slumping as he was answering this question. He's kind of going, like I've said this a hundred times, you know, obviously you're going to miss him, but we knew this coming yeah. in. Um, but it's um, it's noticeable. It's there. It's not It's not going away. It's not going away. I mean, it, you know, it's it's sort of been there ever since Joe Canning came on the scene for Galway. Mm. Um, he's he's just such a, such a profound influence on, on, on this generation of, of players. Um yeah, it wasn't a subject that Michal Donahue was particularly thrilled to uh, find himself talking about again Don't afterwards. But um, that's you know that 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 that's the way of it. Um, I think they're just hoping that they can they can stick around long enough for 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 him to uh, to get back on the field. Um, you know, or maybe they will over the next couple of games, sort of just 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 slip into a different groove in his absence. Well, we'll see. Uh, the next games are coming up uh, next weekend. Carlo are playing Dublin next weekend, and it will be um, that should be obviously should uh, go towards Dublin, but that'll set up the last two rounds uh, fantastically. Listen, thank you very much, Keith, and we will chat to you as the summer goes along. Thanks, folks. And that'll do us for this morning. Thanks to Keith. Uh, thanks to Jerry, who was in with us earlier talking about the rugby. Thanks to you, Eamon. Thank you. And thanks to Declan and JJ behind the desk. We'll see everybody next week. Cheers. Folks.